what we're doing, we're just going verse by verse in Matthew 16. And uh, three things, revealing who Jesus is, what he came to do, and the opposition he faced, not just from the religious leaders at that time, but Satan. Uh, he's going to work through one of the disciples, we'll see in a couple minutes, some, trying to bring some opposition to stop Jesus' plan and mission. So we'll talk about that in a minute when we get there. Um, right now, though, I want to share a quote with you. In Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis said this about Jesus. He said, you can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us. He did not intend to. Very interesting quote there. A great teacher wouldn't claim to be God if he wasn't God. And a good man or a good teacher certainly wouldn't lie, right? So you cannot be neutral about who Jesus is. Um, now where are we going here? Um, five sections. I'm looking for this next. I think that's it. Is that it? Yes. Now we're not going to get all through the, all these today. Pastor Landon's going to pick up wherever I leave off. We're going to do as much as we can. But I'm going to tell you that I know we're going verse by verse, but I'm looking at these five sections, the sign of Jonah, the son of man, false teachings and doctrines, traditions, uh, revelation from God, Jesus being the Christ. He predicts his suffering, death, and resurrection. And then he, at the end of the chapter, he, the, his message is deny yourself, take up your cross. You could do a sermon or a Bible study on each one of these sections, but we're going to go through several of them here this morning, so I'm just preparing you for... Uh, uh, a pretty good, pretty good message here from Matthew. Let, well, let's let the word of God speak. So starting in verse 1, chapter 16, the Pharisees and Sadducees came to him. They came up and testing Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. But he replied to them, when it, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, there will be a great storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times? An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and a sign will not be given it except the sign of Jonah. And he left them and went away. And the disciples came to the other side of the sea, but they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, Watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They began to discuss this among themselves, saying, He said that because we did not bring any bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, You men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000, and how many baskets full you picked up? Or the seven loaves of the 4,000, and how many large baskets full you picked up? How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread? But beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not say to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, when Jesus came 
into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have, shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Father, open up your word to our hearts this morning. Help us to hear what the Spirit is saying to us, your church, your people. Speak to us, Lord, clearly. Uh, use me to speak. Get me out of the way and, and teach what you will have us learn this morning and uh, encourage us in our faith, Lord, and give us more insight on our King of Kings, Jesus, our Master and Savior. We thank you for forgiveness. We thank you that Jesus is the cornerstone of our faith, and we praise you for this time to get in your word, and uh, we ask that you would reveal more nuggets of truth to us this morning through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. Wasn't that a great series of scripture? And I didn't even make it to the end of the chapter, but uh, we know what the world says about Jesus, don't we? Lots of opinion and speculation, speculation, but they're dead wrong. Um, I was listening to a Christian radio program. I think I was in my car getting ready to go speak somewhere. And there was this man on the street interview. It was a Christian program. He was asking people a simple question on the street, going up to people, and said, who is Jesus? And you would be amazed. Well, maybe you wouldn't be. You'd be amazed at some of the answers, some of the responses. But I'll never forget this one young woman. It sounded like maybe she was in her 20s. And she said, um, Jesus is a myth. He was made up by religious people in order to control society. And at first I chuckled when I heard that, and then my heart kind of sank a little bit because I thought, hmm, she's not alone in thinking that. Now we've, in this church, Pastor Landon, I'm sure has gone, gone through a lot of the evidence for the faith and that we can confidently say Jesus definitely was not a myth. He definitely was a human being that lived and I mean, historical writers outside the Bible have mentioned him or wrote, wrote about him or his disciples or things that happened at that time. So, but it was still sad to hear that some people, they don't want to believe, right? So um, I want to show you a couple things. This is what the world says. This is what the world says, right? Um, 
Time Magazine, The Search for Jesus. Some scholars are debunking the Gospels. <gasps> I didn't know that. Now traditionalists are fighting back. What are Christians to believe? Interesting how they're just planting seeds of doubt. That's what the enemy will do, plant seeds of doubt. Well, what can Christians stand on now? In other words, the cornerstone, the foundation of our faith is completely removed. It never happened, or we just heard it was a story, kind of like Jonah and the whale, the big fish. That never happened. That couldn't have happened, right? We'll talk about that in a minute. Let's look at the next one. Rethinking the resurrection. Rethinking the resurrection. A new debate. Who knew, you guys? A new debate about the risen Christ. So man is always coming up with new ideas and new speculations, leaning on his own understanding. What does Proverbs 3 say? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll make your path straight. So, well, let's just talk about a little bit of the evidence because we don't have time to go through all this, but this is, these are just four simple points here. Evidence that confirms Jesus is Lord and God. Eyewitness testimony to his resurrection. If you read 1 Corinthians 15 and the book of Acts chapter 1, hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses that saw the risen, glorified Jesus after he was raised from the dead. He lived on earth for about 40 days afterwards. They saw him. They saw even more miracles. That's why the Jews couldn't stop Christianity because all these eyewitnesses were around. Uh, what about extra-biblical or historical testimony by secular writers? These weren't men that are Christians. These were hostile men to Christianity. These were Jewish writers and historians, but at least they were being honest and truthful. They wrote about some of the things Jesus was said to have done, some of the apostles. So um, then tens of thousands of archaeological finds that support people, places, and events documented in Scripture and hundreds of fulfilled prophecies prove the Bible's reliability and accuracy. Have you ever heard of a prophecy fulfilled in our day and time? I mean, if someone's lucky, and I used lucky, that word purposely, they might be able to predict the outcome of a football game. But that's not really a prophecy, right? Um, so the problem is uh, many people have not heard the gospel. They've not heard some evidence for the faith. And millions have not been able to really examine whether it's true or not. We know it's true, but it's part of our job to share this with people. Um, a lot of speculation on, on who Jesus is, who Jesus was. How about this? There's a, he was a good teacher, a prophet, a liar, rabbi, a lunatic, maybe, because someone that claimed to be God and said, I am God, I am the Father, I won. That's kind of crazy, especially during that time. They're going, whoa. But his miracles backed up what he said. They're going, wow, this guy's healing people. I mean, <laughs> the miracles he's doing. Uh, a legend. We already kind of scratched that one out just based on what that girl said. He's a myth. He is not a legend. He actually lived. There's evidence for that. There's other historians that wrote about that. But the Bible is truth. We take the Bible as true, and then whatever else can back it up. Great. Religious leader, certainly. was Religious leader, divine. God, a small g. Jesus was small g. Well, let me show you this. Um, is this the Barna? Yeah. According to a recent Barna survey, about 60% of Americans agree with this philosophy. Many religions can lead to eternal life or a higher consciousness. Many. There is no one true religion. Now, that's interesting. For those of us who know the truth, we look at that and go, wow, really? More than half? More than half of Americans? So 
The church in general has not done, we have not done a great job of getting out there and sharing the truth of the gospel. It's one thing to share the love of Jesus. It's another thing to give evidence and give some, a, a lot of reasons that people can believe. And then it's up to them whether they decide or not. It's an act of the will. But you know what this philosophy is, right? It sounds like something very popular. Here it is. Coexist. Now, please, if you're a Christian, do not have this bumper sticker on your car. I'm embarrassed if you do. Because um, really, the bumper sticker was created against Christianity, just so you know, okay? Because uh, we want peace. We want tolerance. We want to love all the world. We want, like, saw that old Pepsi song, that old TV commercial, in perfect harmony. Um, people mistakenly assume there are many paths to God and that each religion resembles an represents an aspect of truth. But Jesus didn't claim to be one of many equally legitimate paths to God or the way to God for his day only. He claimed to be the only way to God then and forever. So it's not just look at the coexisting. This reminds me of, um, how many of you are familiar with Dr. Walter Martin? He wrote Kingdom of the Cults, phenomenal book. Um, but he said this, uh, he said, there are many beliefs out there, but what makes a person a Christian is, whether you line up with biblical theology, of course, but whether you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And here's a quote that I love. He said, when people say, I believe in Jesus, look them straight in the eye and ask, which one? Which Jesus? Because guys, even in the church, there are a lot of Jesuses. There are a lot of people who think they're believing in Jesus, but it's, they're not following the right Jesus, are they? So it's, there's a lot, of, a lot of contradictions out there. Um, how are we doing so far? Keeping up? Okay, good. Good. Um, so let's look at... Did someone say something? Okay. I thought you had a question. Let's look at some other religions and what they say. Because they can't all be true. They can all be false, right? But they cannot all be true. The law of non-contradiction comes into play. They can all be false. Even Christianity could be false. But not every religion could be true. But they think we're intolerant because Jesus made some pretty darn exclusive claims, didn't he? We believe that's the truth and that's the right way. They think we're intolerant, but they're believing a certain religious belief system, Buddhism or, or Mormonism. or what, They're believing that theirs is the right way, and they're not intolerant. They're believing theirs is the... So anyway, let's, let's look at some of these. Um, who do other religions uh, say he is? I got these out of order on here, so let me just look over here. Okay, Mormons. Mormons believe Jesus was a god, small g, a prophet, and the spirit brother of Lucifer, Satan. These are just some of a couple of the things uh, that Mormons believe. Jehovah's Witnesses, they believe Jesus was a created being, not the creator. And they believe that he is Michael, the archangel. And they also believe that the cross is a pagan symbol. Um, Muslims, they believe that Jesus was just a man, a prophet perhaps. Uh, Islam teaches that he really didn't die on a cross. Um, who's next? Baha'i. Uh, they teach that Jesus was a messenger, a manifestation of God, just a messenger. Now, Buddhists believe Jesus was just an enlightened man and that we can work our way to salvation in higher consciousness. Um, 
Hinduism teaches reincarnation, of course, karma, uh, the Bible, that's a biblical concept, by the way, that they have perverted. Uh, the truth is, you reap what you sow. That's a concept that is pretty true, good or bad. You can reap what you sow, but they turn it into something else and make it into this other life, and, and that it's gonna, your deeds are going to follow you. Anyway, it's, it's sad, but they believe in millions of gods. Jesus is just one of many. Unitarians believe Jesus was no more divine than you or me, but uh, he was a great teacher and a faith healer. Um, now, these teachings, this is nothing new, you guys. There's been all kinds of beliefs even before the New Testament was written. In the old days, there were other gods, small g. None of them were the one true living God. But there are many false dead gods, idols. Uh, Isaiah writes about you people, warning you people that are crafting these images and putting them up on an altar and worshiping dead gods. Um, Paul warned about this in many places, but one I want to show you. I think that's the one. 2 Corinthians 11.4 says, For if someone comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, because remember the apostles set the foundation based on being with Jesus, based on his teachings, his words, and what God used the apostle Paul to write to the church. If someone comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, the Holy Spirit, in other words, a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. Now, this was actually not a compliment when he said you bear this beautifully. What he meant to say or the context of this is don't put up with it. If someone's preaching another Jesus, bringing to you another gospel, and it's a different spirit other than the Holy Spirit, you tolerate it, he's saying. You bear it beautifully. Don't. <laughs> he's saying don't put up with it. Don't tolerate these false teachings. That was the context here. Um, scripture teaches about the, the coming of the Messiah. And Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Let's look at um, some background here. Um, if you look at uh, chapter 16, first couple verses, verse 4, <laughs> he said, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. <laughs> Jesus is doing all these miracles all over the place. Word is spreading about him throughout the 10 cities, the Decapolis, and all over, all these different regions. And they go, give us a sign. Man just wants yet another sign. I, I heard this, someone say uh, years ago, if, um, if there were, and they're not, if there were 100 ways to God, we would want 101. There's got to be one more way. Give me the 101st way. Um, so let's go to that. We talked about the sign of Jonah. What did he mean by that? He, he talked about this. So um, first of all, let, I want to go back. I've got a couple uh, slides here about the background of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I want to go to that real quick. So background notes here. They were long-standing enemies. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were opposing religious leaders, right? The Pharisees lived by the smallest points of the oral law, and they were meticulous in keeping the law. They believed in uh, bodily resurrection. Pharisees were not political. They looked for the coming of the Messiah. Sadducees did not. The Sadducees received only written words of Hebrew scriptures and did not believe in angels or resurrection. Sadducees were aristocrats, and they were political. They collaborated with Rome to keep their wealth and power. It's interesting, these two opposing religious groups united 
in opposition against Jesus the truth. Isn't that interesting? The most religious and educated men at the time united and opposed Jesus. They denied the deity of Jesus, that he was God. They knew he had miraculous powers, but they, for example, Jesus healed, and then they said, but you did it on the Sabbath, you know. Um, they failed to recognize his authority. They were threatened by him. Why? They didn't want to lose their temple. They didn't want, didn't want to lose their beautiful building and their traditions, their established religion. Um, they taught as doctrines their man-made traditions. Pastor Landon went through this a couple weeks ago. They feared Jesus and plotted to kill him. They tested him and asked for a sign from heaven. So let's talk about what, what is this sign of Jonah. Um, go to Matthew 12 if you want to flip over. If you don't have your Bible, I'll, I'll read it here. It's up on the screen. But if you want to look at it later, this is what he was talking about. Jesus who said, in, in the context we're reading today in Matthew 16, he said, uh, this evil and adulterous generation looks for a sign. No sign is going to be given to you except the sign of Jonah. I'm out of here. And then Jesus left. So it sounds like, boy, Jesus, you could have let them know a little bit more. But back in Matthew 12, he already answered that. Uh, verse uh, 38, I think. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given but the sign of Jonah the prophet. Verse 40, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That's the sign of Jonah. Uh, if you keep reading... The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation. Nineveh is who Jonah was sent to preach. By the way, can you imagine? Uh, Jonah, God calls him to preach repentance to these people, but the, the Ninevites had killed thousands of Jonah's people, thousands of Jews. The Ninevites were a wicked, evil people. Jonah didn't want to go. He didn't want them to repent, right? He wanted God to judge them. So instead of saying, all right, God, let me go preach, Jonah, instead of going a couple hundred miles up north, I think it was in the northern direction, he jumped on a ship, got on a ship, set sail. They went south a couple hundred miles. He wanted to get as far away from Nineveh as possible, like God couldn't find me on a ship, right? I'm going to run from God. So Jonah went the other direction, and if you read that, it's a whole story of uh, an education for Jonah. But the, it wasn't an education. It was like Shamu University. So Jonah learned fast from the belly of the, the fish. The men, and by the way, that's one of the, quote, fables that we hear about. Oh, it's just a kid's story. It's a historical event, and that's what we Christians, after 100 years of doing it wrong, we should start referring when we're teaching our kids, these are historical accounts. These are actual events that happened in history. Instead of saying, let me tell you a story about Jonah. You know what I mean? I mean, I know you're trying to relate to the, young, the, the kids. I understand that. But let me tell you a story about Noah and all these people that got wiped out when it started raining and it flooded. That's not a pleasant story. That's a story of judgment for lack of repentance. But these are actual historical events. So it says the men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and condemn it. Why? Because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, Jesus said, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is referring to himself. 
The queen of the south will rise up with this generation at the judgment and condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. So Jesus, and interesting here, um, Jesus confirms the, quote, story of Jonah. Notice how he treats the Old Testament book of Jonah as literal history. He says, no sign is going to be given you but the sign of Jonah. And he went back and he went through what we just talked about in Matthew 12. There's a verse in uh, Romans 15, verse 4. Whatever was written in earth, because some people are saying, oh, the Old Testament, let's let little focus, don't need to focus on the Old Testament. No, that's God's word. And it's true history. It says, whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. Why? So that through perseverance and the encouragement of Scripture, we might have hope. So there's many, many reasons to hitch to the Old Testament and learn from it, all right? So about this um, three days and three nights, common expression, I don't want to get too far into it, but it was an expression of the prophetic significance about a period of time. Another expression at that time was 40 days and 40 nights. People would use these expressions, three days, three nights, 40 days, 40 nights. Um, now let's talk about the crucifixion. Some think Sunday night, if Jesus was crucified on uh, Friday, Sunday would be the third night. But if Jesus was crucified on a Friday, which would start at 9 a.m., 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., and his resurrection occurred on the first day of the week, by Hebrew reckoning, that would qualify as three days and three nights. Even if he, he was raised on Sunday morning, so Friday, Saturday, Sunday, so you've got the three days, but be, because they said the first day of the week, Hebrews said, okay, so that's three days and three nights. So we have the, this stumbling block about that sometimes. Let's go to Jesus' response in... Um, Verse uh, 16, uh, chapter 16, 11 and 12. I know we're jumping ahead a little bit here. <laughs> it's interesting. I don't know how long it was. We don't know exactly how long it was that Jesus did those miracles and fed. I notice one of the gospels says uh, 4,000 men and another gospel says uh, 4,000 men plus women and children. So there could have been 12,000 people that Jesus fed, just so you know that. One or two of the Gospels might say 4,000 men he fed with a couple loaves, right? So nonetheless, he did a massive miracle in the sight of the people, in the sight of his disciples. They're seeing these loaves of bread come flying out from somewhere, and everyone's passing them along the crowd. Fish, my goodness, hey, want some fish? Here we go. Fresh lake fish. Thank you, Jesus. And they're passing it out to thousands and thousands of people. They get in a boat, and, and assumedly to cross the Sea of Galilee, they get in a boat, and they say, oh man, we forgot to bring bread. Jeez. Do you get it? He, Jesus did two massive miracles when he fed people, and they're going, oh, we've, because of what Jesus said, we forgot to bring bread. So Jesus said, oh, you have little faith. How is it that you do not understand that I didn't speak to you concerning bread? <laughs> Jesus could go like this. Hey, guys, eat. Boom. They, but uh, beware of the leaven, the teaching, the doctrine, doctrina, teaching. Beware of the false teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood. He didn't say beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching. Okay, um, so let me read a little bit of uh, background here. I got on uh, Caesarea Philippi. 
it's, it was basically a large Gentile population, but it was 25 miles northeast of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus, it's interesting in this atmosphere that he was getting ready to ask two very important questions to his disciples. And there was gonna, a big revelation was coming. Jesus knew where he was going with this. But it's interesting where he did this. Um, the, this area was associated with a lot of gods, a lot of idols, a lot of rival deities, and the area also had temples of ancient Syrian Baal worship. Even the god, have you heard of the god Pan, P-A-N? Uh, god of nature, god, of, god is in everything in, in nature. Um, there was said to be a caravan or a cave there that was the, the birthplace of the god Pan in this area of Caesarea Philippi. So Jesus, in this background of all these foreign gods and the cave of Pan, maybe, and altars and all this uh, idol worship, Jesus is getting ready to floor these guys with a revelation. Um, also, there was a great temple there, a white marble temple built to the godhead of Caesar. So Jesus said, um, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they answered, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, Others, Jeremiah, or uh, one of the prophets. Now, it's interesting. These guys, that the, the disciples just went through, and I'm guessing that they answered for the people. The disciples were saying, well, this is what people say. The men that they just mentioned were national reformers. They stood up to the corrupt rulers of their day. Some of them thought Jesus was a herald of national repentance, like um, John the Baptist. Some thought Jesus was a famous worker of miracles. They said, Elijah, right? Some said Jesus was one who spoke the words of God, like a prophet, like Jeremiah, uh, or one of the other prophets that was warning the people. So here's the problem with, and that was very revealing what they said. All of these answers misrepresented and underestimated who Jesus really was, right? But even with Jesus doing some miraculous things around them, here's what they were still saying. They weren't saying he was God. They were saying, well, maybe he's a preacher of righteousness. Maybe he's going to be a strong political leader. Maybe he's going to be a prophet, or he is a prophet. They weren't elevating him to God. So Jesus said this purposely. Um, even after many signs and wonders, they were uncertain about the role of the Messiah. And here's another thing. Before we get to the big answer, the big wow, revelation from God through Peter, John the Baptist, who was prophesied to prepare the way for Jesus, and what was their message? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was only a message at that time for Israel because Jesus brought the kingdom right there at that time. That was a message for them. So John... He's preaching and preaching because God told him to preach this message. Preach this, told him, here's the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The, the Messiah is coming. John's preaching. He's out there in the, in the Jordan baptizing, baptizing, baptizing. And then he sees Jesus walking along the bank of the Jordan River. He's baptizing people and Jesus is getting closer. He's baptizing people. And when he gets close enough, he goes, behold, the Lamb of God, the one that was to take away the sin of the world. And Jesus asks to be baptized by John. Make no mistake, Jesus did not need to repent of anything. He did it to set an example. But John, when he baptized him, remember what happened? There's a little secret there, a revelation of the Trinity. Here's Jesus, 
the Son of God, capital S, Jesus, God in the flesh. He comes up out of the water. The Holy Spirit descends on him in the form of a dove. It says in, I believe, uh, two of the Gospels, if not. Um, so the Holy Spirit comes down, and then, and then what? Jesus is there. The Holy Spirit's there. It's bright light. And then a voice from heaven, the Father, says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Right? So there's the Father, there's the Son, there's the Holy Spirit present at Jesus' baptism. That was free. That was worth the gas money this morning. That was worth getting through all the bad weather. That was worth all the getting through all the bad weather. Okay. But see, even so, my point, <laughs> I got off track a little bit. My point, even John the Baptist was going, wow, well, I thought you were going to come take over the kingdom and you, you were coming, you were saying, repent. I thought you were going to judge right now. And Jesus is out in remote places healing. He's got this ministry, uh, blessing, feeding the poor, healing all kinds of people. So let's go to something here. Um, I'm not sure if I have this on a slide. No, I don't. Turn to Matthew 11 real quick. Matthew 11, verse 2. This is so good, you guys. Isn't it? I think it's good. Oh, come on. Not already. Got a 15-minute warning. We're not going to make it. Um, are you guys okay? You have nowhere to go immediately? All right. Now, when John, John was in prison now, and he's wondering, wow, Jesus, he's hearing about all these things that Jesus is doing. John the Baptist, who knew... <laughs> who Jesus was, even baptized, he said, and he saw the Father and the Spirit. He heard of the works of Christ, and he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? Jesus answered and said to them, go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. That was his response to John the Baptist because John was going, all right, well, I thought you were going to establish the kingdom now, but I hear you're doing all this other stuff. So Jesus just basically confirmed that these signs that he just rattled off in that answer confirmed that he's the Messiah. Yet only the Messiah could do these things. So I thought that was interesting. So back in Matthew 16, um, Peter's answer, it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, let's see, where are we? So John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But here in verse... Fourteen, sorry. Who they say he is. Jesus said, well, what, what about you? Who do you say I am? And I've got a slide on that. You are Peter. When Peter said, you, where is it? you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That was a Jewish term, Jewish understanding of God Almighty, by the way, the living God. And Jesus said to Peter, because of that answer, he said, um, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, or Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And then he said, and I also say to you, you are Peter. And upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. Let's talk about this for a minute. Um, first, we just sang the very first worship song we sang today, Christ the Cornerstone. 
There is no other cornerstone, capital C, other than Jesus Christ. Um, he's the head of the church. He's the foundation of the church. And it is a mistake to think that God gave any of these roles to Peter, although Peter was privileged, one of the closest in Jesus' inner circle. Okay? Interesting, though, this is divine revelation from God, a boulder-like truth, divine revelation that God gave to Peter when Jesus asked the question. A boulder-like truth came from the mouth of one who is called a small stone. The words, this rock, have been the source of a lot of controversy, of course. Um, it's best to see them as refer referring to either Jesus himself or as Peter's confession of Christ, the revelation. He's not saying Peter is the rock in both uses of the word rock. Peter, by his own testimony, by the way, he did not see himself as the rock on which the church was founded. He said, he wrote that we are living stones, but Jesus was the cornerstone. So in other words, Peter was the first believer to confess Christ. So Peter was the first rock among many rocks. I think, uh, let me see, let me see here. Um, let me just go through this real quick. I think I have that right slide, yes. Peter means rock, Petros. So that was the use of that word there. But in the very next use of the word, Jesus used Petra upon this rock. Petra, that's a feminine form for rock, meaning a small stone or foundation stone. It's not a name. The first Greek use of the word Petros, that means Peter, name. The second use, upon this rock, that's like the revelation knowledge. That's, that's what the church is founded on, the revelation knowledge of Christ the Messiah. So Jesus is saying that upon this rock, upon this divine revelation, your profession of faith in Christ, I'll build my church. So I just want to make sure you guys uh, get that. All right, um, now what did Peter say? Just, just so we have a little bit extra, Peter said this and in 1 Peter 2, and coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you, believers in Christ, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. The very next um, part of the answer, when Jesus said, I'll build my church, notice first he said my church, not Peter's church, not Matthew's church, not John's church, not Paul's church. Um, Ecclesia. Ecclesia. It just, it was really, didn't have a religious reference when it was used. We give it a religious reference now, but it simply means called out. Called out group. We are the church called out group. Believers in Christ. Matthew's the only gospel where this ancient Greek word for church is found. It's a significant. This was well before the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, um, which is we traditionally understand that to be the beginning of the church. It's also extremely important to remember that. So my church, capital M, Jesus Church, he alone is the architect, builder, cornerstone, owner, and Lord. Now let's jump to the next part where he says, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. New King, New King James says, shall not prevail against it. Two things to remember here. Satan has no power 
to stop the true biblical church. He has some power. He's given some free reign here in this earth, on this earth. But he has no power to stop. Jesus will never be stopped or conquered, right? He already won the victory. That last song we did, it is finished. The work is done. Now it's up to us to believe and to share that message of truth and hope with a dying world. Satan has no power to stop the church. And gates, did you ever think about that? Gates don't attack. Gates are defensive. Does that make sense? The gates of Hades will not overpower it. So the gates, we are supposed to be attacking the gates with the word of God, the sword of the spirit. We are supposed to be preaching the gospel. We are supposed to be attacking the gates in Jesus' name. Just a little, uh, little nugget there. I thought, boy, we've got this impression that heaven, we've got these gates that are protecting us in the in this realm of the spirit. But we're supposed to be on offense attacking the gates of hell, not vice versa. So we, we've got to change our understanding of that. Now, um, keys of the kingdom. I'm just looking at the, t- the time here and see what we can get to. I think we'll skip over that. I'll let Landon do that. Um, so the keys, they do, let me do, get the slide up here. Oh, I already have it. There we go. Um, keys do represent authority, not access to heaven. How many of you have heard someone say, well, they'll make a reference to St. Peter standing at the pearly gates. Peter has no authority to let people in heaven or send people to hell. Peter, Peter has no authority. None of the apostles do. None of the disciples do. No other person does. It's Jesus, and salvation is only achieved through Jesus, by God's grace, through faith, alone, in Christ alone, the cornerstone, period. Peter is not standing outside the pearly gates. Okay, I know, it's something we've heard for just kind of, oh, is Peter going to let everybody into heaven? No, it's, it's, forget that. Binding and loosing, we'll have to skip over that for now. Um, but that has to do with Jewish custom. Um, Matthew 18, Jesus gave instructions on dealing with sin. It was a church dis- discipline uh, issue, the binding and loosing of what is already spoken in the word of God, what is already bound or loosed in heaven. Too much to get into at this point, but uh, whatever we bind or loose on earth has already been bound or loosed in heaven if we are operating under the scriptures. And uh, let's go to, you don't have to go here. Let me just put this slide up. Ephesians 2.20, we are God's household, the church, we are God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So who's the head of the church? Jesus. Just want to confirm this because a lot of conversations and debates today come up based on who is the head of the church and who is the head of religions and church here. So let's go there really quick. Here's some reasons why Peter was not the first pope because this is what Catholics believe, that Peter was the first pope. God gave him authority, they say, to hand down this, uh, this uh, teaching in the church, the authority to other popes and other bishops and priests and that's not how it works. Reasons why Peter was not the first pope, and we can talk about this a lot more, but I've just got some bullet points. 
No apostle attained supremacy in New Testament times. Nothing that we can ever read on. Nothing in the New Testament teaches that Peter became a pope. Um, the rock upon which the church would be built wasn't Peter, but his confession of faith that Jesus is the Christ. We went over that. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. That was the revelation that God gave to Peter at that moment. He can use any of us to speak through. But at that moment, he wanted to change his ministry, the direction of his ministry, and say, all right, now, guys, disciples, now I'm going to start teaching you about who I am and what I came to do. Um, Paul, Paul taught that the Apostle Paul said, I, I was not inferior to any other apostle, so they were all at the same level. That was Paul taught. Um, early church history argues against the existence of the papacy. Peter was definitely not infallible. He had foot and mouth disease, as we, as we read through a lot. And I can relate to that. Um, the keys to the kingdom relate only to Peter's privilege of preaching the gospel, okay, and have nothing to do with the entrance to heaven. Jesus' prayer, remember Jesus prayed after Peter denied him three times? Jesus' prayer after Jesus' resurrection that Peter's faith would not fail. Actually, no, this was before Jesus was uh, crucified. Oh, wait a minute. I think it was after. Um, Jesus' prayer for Peter relates only to his restoration because of his denial of Christ. And then Peter never made it to Rome. As Catholic tradition would tell you, well, the Pope is in Rome. They started the... the uh, Popehood, the papacy there. If you read Romans 16, and don't do it now, but make a little note, Romans 16, I think it's the last chapter in Romans, it is, there's a, a roll call of who Paul is saying, hey, shout out to so-and-so, you know, shout out to Brian, shout out to Jim, shout out to Rosanna, shout out to Sam, shout out to Ryan, shout out to, 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 uh, to uh, Aaron, to Armand, to Lacey, shout out to all you, you know, he's just saying hey to everybody. Greet this person, greet this person, greet these people. Peter is not mentioned. That was a letter of Paul to the Romans. Don't you think, Peter being one of the key apostles under Christ, Peter, James, and John, don't you think that Paul would have said, hey, tell Peter hi too? He didn't mention Peter at all. Anyway, so I just want to give you a little in insight on that. I thought that was kind of interesting, but that's where some of their traditions. So, Another thing is, as soon as he revealed this massive, God says, I just revealed this to you. And Jesus said, you are blessed, Peter. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, my Father in heaven. Then Jesus says, he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. Well, wait a minute. Wouldn't you want to start telling people this is what, who you are and what you came to do? Why didn't he do that? Or why did he warn them? Look at Mark 145. I have it on the screen there. Mark 145. This is what happened. Um, right after Jesus healed a leper, I believe it was. Is it? I think so. I, I thought I had it in my notes. I do somewhere. I'm skipping around, so. Um, just so we can get to the end, you guys can go, oh, okay, that was... It was a leper, trust me. There it is. I got it. I got it. So, but he went out and began to proclaim it when Jesus said, don't tell anyone to the leper. In other words, it's not my time yet. <laughs> don't tell anyone that I healed you. Thank you. <laughs> he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent. Here's why. 
Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas, and they were coming to him from everywhere, even out somewhere else, like a couple hours from here, out around no major city, because whenever he would enter a big city, what do you think the disciples' job description turned into? Crowd control, you know? So he could not go into a city without this massive commotion, and he didn't come to just heal people. That's not why he came. The healings were signs that he was the Messiah and he was God. He, I just healed this one, I raised someone from the dead, and now listen to what I say. They were signs confirming, okay? So the more people started spreading it around, Jesus couldn't go and really do what he came to do as effectively. So that's why he was saying, don't tell anyone yet, right? And in fact, he didn't let people worship him publicly until Palm Sunday, what we know as Palm Sunday, a week before when he said, even if they don't worship, the stones will cry out. Let them worship. They are saying Hosanna, remember? So very interesting that uh, there is a reason that he said, don't tell anyone. But what was his, the, the shift in ministry? Here was his, a major shift now in Jesus' ministry, more to the disciples and le less to the masses. From that time on, we're in Matthew 16, just a couple more verses that we can go through. I'll let Landon uh, pick it up next week. From that time on, Jesus began, interesting, he began right then to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised up on the third day. And then Peter took him aside and said, God forbid it. And then what did Jesus have to say? Get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking of God's interests. You just have man's. You just want me to stay here, you know, because of the three years you spent with me or however long that was. He said, you're a stumbling block. And you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. But it's interesting that Peter just jumped. It's almost as if he didn't, he didn't give the, the words time to sink in. Because if you think about that whole thing, Jesus ended up saying, after um, be killed by the leaders, crucified, killed, and be raised up on the third day, be resurrected. They didn't let that sink in because you're thinking, wow, that's hope. Everybody wants to think that they could live forever. At that time, it had been unheard of that someone would be raised from the dead. So that was uh, something I think they missed, or Peter missed, because he jumped, forbid it, Lord. You know, Peter was the first one to speak oftentimes. But I give him credit, Mr. Walking on the Water. No one else but Jesus did that for a short time, and then he got freaked out by the waves. What am I doing? I'm walking on the water, and there's a storm. I remember he sank, and then Jesus grabbed him. You have a little faith. Um, so from that time on, he started telling him, this is what I've, I've come to do. I find that to be a very interesting change in Jesus' ministry, uh, teaching ministry to the disciples and trying to prepare them. And even when they were in the upper room cowering, right, they, I don't, they still didn't get it. They couldn't understand how Jesus went through all the torture and the crucifixion. And then when the women came back and said, hey, an angel said he's raised from the dead. The tomb is empty. They're going, they're trying to, they're trying to grasp all this. So Jesus, in, interesting, it tells us that from that time on, Jesus is trying to prepare the disciples and give him more insight into who he is and why he came, what he came to do. And there was opposition. 
Um, just want to show you one more quote here from Ravi Zacharias. There are many ways. It's all about Jesus, you guys. There are many ways, but only one truth. He said, naturalism settles for the theory of chaos. Jesus offers coherence. Islam talks about Allah, the compassionate, but it is Jesus who went to the cross. You see, compassion literally means to suffer with. There is no place like the cross. Hinduism talks of karma and the debt of morality, but Jesus offers forgiveness and paid the price of sin. Buddhism talks of the eradication of desire. Jesus offers to fill those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's all about Jesus, and there is only one way. And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And he was responding to Philip here, and he said, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. There's another claim. I am God. If you've seen the Father, I mean, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So one more thing I want to just share with you for, few, for your study on later on. John chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 1 are two very important chapters to study about who Jesus is and his deity. Because believe me, there's a lot of people that believe all kinds of crazy things out there. And even in some churches, they're not quite, they don't quite grasp it. They'll believe in one part. Like, um, so in Colossians chapter 1, for example, he is, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. By him all things were created. So he is creator. He is before all things, meaning he preexisted with the Father, and in him all things hold together. So who do we say Jesus is? The inescapable question. He alone can redeem us from the power and penalty of sin. He alone can transform us, restore you to fellowship with God, and give your life eternal purpose. If you haven't repented and have been believed in Jesus Christ, your savior, savior, why not? And I'm not sure where everybody's at here, but there's a great a couple of scriptures that we can share with people whenever you need this in your arsenal. Put it in your arsenal, Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It doesn't say, like the Mormons say, we are saved by the grace of God, after all that we can do. So they're saying we're saved partly by the grace of God, but by our works. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's Christ alone. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So the good news, guys, for the Bible-believing Christian, who is Jesus? Who do you say that he is? Well, he's the author of life the perfecter of our faith, the light of the world, the Lord of lords, King of kings, Jehovah, Son of man, the great I am, creator. He's the door, the gate, the way, the truth, the life, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, healer, conqueror, redeemer, Emmanuel, God with us, savior, and soon coming king. Praise God. Let's, uh, let's just wrap this up with 
a thought of, what we have to look forward to. Only because of him. It is finished. Thank you, Jesus. Um, Lord God, thank you for your word and thank you for the truth that we can stand on and trust in. And thank you for your presence that you promise never to leave us or forsake us. And thank you that prom- for promising that you will continue the work that you began in each one of us, your children. We are called as living stones, precious in your sight. And we stand, Lord, as best we can in this crazy culture, in this crazy world. We stand on the foundation of truth only laid by Christ alone, our cornerstone. Increase our faith, Lord, for the days ahead. And thank you that I know that because we are all here right now, we are all alive today, that means that you have a purpose for our lives and you you give our lives meaning because of who we are, because of what we believe in you, and because of the message that we have of reconciliation, the message that other people can be saved. Help us, Lord. Give us a passion to share the gospel and to, to share this message with those who don't believe before it's too late. Thank you for calling us and choosing us to go and bear fruit. And I pray, Lord, that the fruit of this fellowship, Freedom Fellowship, I pray that our fruit will last. I pray, Lord, for more saints to come into the kingdom. More laborers, send more laborers, Lord. We know the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Well, we are here, Lord, as your servants. So do with us what you will. Help us to know the word, know the truth, be able to speak the truth and explain the truth to people who really need some some insight and truth and hope in their lives. And we know the hope that we have in Christ is an anchor to our souls. We praise you for this day, wicked weather and all. We thank, we're thankful for this uh, body, Lord, of believers, and we are just so uh, blessed to have encouragement around us and the freedoms we have in this country. It's amazing. We can say anything right now, anyway. <laughs> we can say anything about you, Lord. We can share the gospel, so help us to do it. We love you, Lord. Commit the rest of this day to you. Help us to remember some of your words that were spoken today and help us to study and show ourselves approved. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, Master, Savior, and soon-coming King. Amen.